Morning, church. Welcome to the largest nine o'clock class ever. A little time change humor. Last week, last week, last week I made a mistake up here. No, not that one. Not talking about the slave of yokery mistake. Not that one. I'm talking about another mistake that I made that I want to address before we get into today's study. And every once in a while, well, like maybe once in a lifetime, um, I'm actually kind of glad I made a mistake so that I could draw attention to the mistake that I made and correct it in a way that it should be corrected because this needs, this needs attention. This is such a cool thing. So last week, we did communion together. And when we went to do communion, I came down on the floor and I was talking about the elements and I was talking about how all of it tied in to the message of freedom. And um, I have a tendency when um, I do communion to, to not, I don't want to overthink what I'm going to say when I'm setting up communion. Just let it happen. Um, and what happens to me then, and I, this should happen to all of us, is when we go to communion, we think about what it is we're remembering, and we bring that to mind. And so sometimes I get a very vivid picture in my head of what was happening. What happened with Jesus' body and his blood? What did he go through on that day? What did he suffer? And we have some, I'm I'm thankful for, for the film, The Passion of the Christ, because it at least gave us a graphic enough picture of what happened to Jesus in that time. And so I'll have this come to mind, and, and I was thinking about that last week as I was setting up communion, and I was talking about what happened to Jesus. And one of the things that I said, as I pictured him being struck with fists and with sticks and how he was getting beaten so badly on his way to the cross where he was executed, I'm thinking through that, and I said the words, his bones were broken. That was my mistake. In spite of the fact that he was beaten severely and hung on a cross to die, his bones were not broken. And so I want you to see this if you've never seen it before. It's important that we understand this. There were many, many prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Centuries before, he was prophesied. There were things that were prophesied about that exact time, about his crucifixion, about things that happened right around that event. And this is one of those things. This is Exodus chapter 12, verse 46. This is when instructions for the Passover feast were being given to God's people. And note what's said here about how they treated the sacrificial lamb. Exodus 12, 46. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house. And you shall not break any of its bones. That's pretty random, isn't it? You're sacrificing a sheep, and you're going to eat that sheep, but you can't break its bones. And we break bones when we eat animals. That's just what happens, and it seems really random. Then there's this reference in Psalm 34 about how God cares for his righteous one, and he's referring to Jesus here. And this is what he says in Psalm 34, 19 and 20. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, Jesus, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Now, when people were crucified at Jesus' time, as they hung there on the cross, nailed hand and feet to the cross, 
they could be there for a very long time. As much pain as they were enduring and suffering that they were going through, they could hang there for quite some time, hours and hours. And to speed the process of their death, the Roman soldiers would often come along and see that somebody was still hanging there alive and he'd been there for a long time. And they would break his legs so that he would fall and all of his weight would be supported on his hands. And physically, when that happens, there's a ton of pressure put on your lungs and they would suffocate to death and they'd die faster. And when the soldiers, this is recorded in scripture, when the soldiers came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead and they did not break his bones. And it was very rare that this happened. And these prophecies were fulfilled there in Jesus' crucifixion. So your pastor is wrong and now you know better. And if I do it again, call me out. Someone just stand up and say, heretic! And <laughs> explain to everybody around why I made a mistake, all right? You have freedom to do that, I dare you. <laughs> all right. What a gift we've been given in the Word of God where we can see prophecies made and prophecies fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And this is one of those prophecies. His bones were not broken. His bones were not broken. He was beaten and killed, but they didn't break his bones. All right, on to the next message in our series about freedom. Last week, we introduced the idea of freedom and God's desire for us to live free. We looked at some of the stories of Christ setting people free throughout the, the Gospels in particular, where, where he set people free. We looked at some of those characters. We looked at what some of the Bible says about freedom, some of the verses, the passages. We looked at the reality that Jesus sets us free. And we started talking about God's design for us to be free from some things, but also to be free to some things as well. Free from and free to. And we begin this morning with a look at what it means to be free from the world. And there are five questions that we're going to address in this message if we're going to talk about freedom from the world, we first need to define what's meant by the term, the world. Secondly, we'll ask who says we should be free from the world. We'll look at what the Bible says about the world and God's desire for our relationship with the world. Thirdly, we'll talk about what we need to be free from. Then we'll look at the other side of that equation, what we can be free to. And finally, we'll discuss some practical steps that each of us can take towards Freedom from the world. So question number one is simply this. What is the world? What is the world? What is meant by that term, the world, when the Bible uses it? And it uses it a lot. And I want to overcome some of the misconceptions that we may have about how this word is used. Um, I get the sense that we may have here right in this room a variety of different ideas of what the Bible means when it refers to the world. What's it talking about? And the first time that I ever really looked at the word to gain understanding was in the context of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And I was looking at that and what that meant. And that's when I was introduced to the word cosmos. Cosmos. And it essentially means everything that's created by God. All of creation. God so loved the cosmos, the people, the animals, the plants, the trees, the oceans, everything, everything that he sent his son. 
doesn't just say that God so loved people that he sent his son. It says God so loved the world, the cosmos. And at that time I was learning about the, the reality that God is going to renew this whole earth. One day when Jesus comes back, God is going to renew this earth And that was a contradiction for me back then of what I had seen in the uh, Christian end times comic books growing up where the world blows up. God just obliterates it. I was learning that, that that's not true. God loves this world and he's going to redeem it. That's the general sense of the word cosmos, the, the entire created physical world, the cosmos. But there's a more specific sense, uh, specific application of this word as well. And that's what we're going to look at today. A um, couple misconceptions. The world is not some unknown force that's out to get us. And I've been guilty myself of referring to the world as basically the evil empire without even clarifying what about it is good and what is not good. I've generalized in my use of the word, and that generalization is not helpful at all. It just creates a fear in us of anything that has to do with the world, and that's not helpful. The world was created, if you remember, by God with great joy on his part. He was pleased. What breaks his heart is what's happened to what he's created. What's happening now And his desire is to redeem what he created. He loves the world and he sent Jesus as his way of redemption. And so we're to join him in that. The world is also not a known force that is out to destroy us. We cannot simply give it a label and react to it according to that label. We can't simply equate the words consumerism or materialism or humanism or something like that. One of the isms with that word... As if they were one and the same. That is the world. Now the way cosmos is used in the context of the verses that we're going to look at um, has a, a specific application here. So let me give you the definition that I discovered as I was studying this word and, and how we're going to use it today. And this goes back to the Greek origin of the word and how the word is used in a more specific sense than just, re- just referring to all of creation in general. Here's the definition that I found. And I love how detailed and specific this is and how much clarity it brought for me the world worldly affairs the aggregate of things earthly the whole circle of earthly goods endowments riches advantages pleasures etc which although hollow and frail and fleeting stir desire seduce from god and are obstacles to the case of christ this is what we're talking about when we use the term the world Creation, good and bad, and its influence on us as inhabitants of this world. And I think this is a very well-balanced approach to this word. I want us, as a church, to have a definition that's clear when we use the word world in our studies. Because I don't want us to lose the love that we should have for the world and just label it all evil and spend our lives trying to avoid it. Second question that we're going to address now is this. Who says we should be free from the world? Jesus gives us a great picture of what our relationship to the world should be in John chapter 17. If you want to read something that will help you be free of this world, read John 17 as Jesus prays for us, for his followers. 
Look at what he says about us and his desire for us. This is just a taste of what he said in that chapter in John 17. This is verses 15, 16, and 18. Jesus is praying here. He says, I do not ask that you, that you take them, my followers, out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You and I, church, are in the world. We're in the world. And Jesus did not ask that we be removed from this world. He wants us to be here. He's sending us into the world. But as he makes clear, we are not of the world. So Jesus says that he wants us to be in the world, but not of the world. He wants us to be free from the world without leaving it or isolating ourselves from it. Jesus also set up some clear pictures of what the world should mean to us. He, he warned us about the cost of aligning ourselves with the world and giving the world more value than it should have. This is what he said in Matthew sixteen twenty six. Jesus said, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And so here Jesus is pointing out that a pursuit of the world will demand a high cost from us. His words are very clear. He wants us to be free from the world, but free from what exactly? Now, our definition of the world gave us some, some clues here. God recognizes the weakness of our flesh. In our sinful state here in this world, we can be influenced by our fleshly desires. Peter addressed that as well in his letter. The world plays on those desires. God recognizes that in our weakness, we can be seduced away from him by earthly things. And he recognizes the obstacles that this world presents to the cause of Christ. Obstacles like busyness, selfishness, apathy, and there are many more. And we're going to address a few of these today and more as the series goes on. The third question that we need to answer is this. What do we need to be free from? What is it specifically that we need to be free from? I want to use two words here to describe the world's influence in our lives. Power and passion. For those of you who grew up in the same era as me listening to alternative music, the power and the passion comes from what band? Let's see if anyone gets this. Other than my wife. <laughs> Go ahead. Midnight Oil. Thank you very much. An Aussie band that was just incredible. All right. In this world, there are powers. So I can't relate to all, any of you. That's basically what happened there, right? Like, that's good. So, it's good that I'm here. Good that I'm here. <laughs> In this world, there are powers. We talked about the spirit realm when we were studying First Peter. This world is temporarily under the rule of Satan. He is considered a spiritual authority in this world. In John 14, 30, Jesus referred to him as the ruler of this world. He's behind the power at work in this world that is working against God. He tempts, seduces, and obstructs us. Because we live in this world, we are exposed to this power. We are not subject to this power. We are not lifelong victims of this power, but we have to live aware of this power. The enemy will use this power 
Remember our biblical definition of the world. To stir our fleshly desires, to seduce us away from God, and to obstruct the cause of Christ in our lives. And the power question then is this. How much power will we allow the world to have in our lives? How much power do we allow the world to have in our lives right now? How much power in this past week did I allow the world to have in my life? Did you allow the world to have in your life? How much influence does the world have on us? How much do we fear and submit to this power? This power is what God desires us to be free from. Free to live in the world, but not of the world, means that we live aware of the power, but do not subject ourselves to that power. We need to be free from the world in this way. And so here's an amazing promise that Jesus gave us regarding the world's power. This is a statement that John made, but I want you to notice something before we get to this statement. John recorded more about the world than any other gospel writer. His book is filled with it. The gospel of John is filled with references to the world. And then John took the perspective that Jesus had shown him in his time with him. And he focused a lot on that subject in his letters to the churches in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. John's letters are another great place to go if you want some clarity on our relationship to the world. Read those letters as well. Go and see what John wrote. It's amazing how much he addressed this subject. Here's the promise. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The power that is in us, the Spirit of God, is greater. It's far, far greater than the power that is in this world. The power of Christ in us can set us free from the power that's in this world. The power that this world has to tempt, to seduce, to obstruct us. It's Christ's power in us that sets us free from that. Jesus himself made a promise through a promise to his disciples about this world. It's found in John 16, And he says this, I have said these things to you, that in, may, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Tremendous promise to stand on. Do we believe then that Jesus has overcome the world? Do we believe it, really? Do we believe that the Spirit of God in us is far greater than the power that's at work in the world? Do we believe that God is the ultimate power and that there is none other that compares to him at all? Or do we fear the world and its power? God wants to set us free from that fear and from the world's power. Even in the midst of the rampant sin that's taken over this world, this is still God's world. This is his world. Can we agree with the psalmist who says in Psalm 89, 11, the heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all that is in it, you have founded them. Can we agree that it's all his, that it's all God's? Who has authority in your life here in this world? There can only be one ultimate authority. God is that authority through the spirit of Jesus Christ in us here in this world. This world does not need to have power over us. We can be free from the world. 
It's the second angle that we need to consider in this. We also need to be free from the commitment that we make to this world every day. It's not just our submission to its power, but it's also our desire to fulfill our passions through what this world has to offer. This is what John has to say about this passion. This is 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16. He writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's harsh. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. How much do we love the world? How much do we love the world? How much passion and energy and drive are we spending on the things of this world? How committed are we to fulfilling the desires of our flesh by using the temporary offerings of this world day in and day out? How much are we doing this? How much are we seeking love in this world? How much are we seeking peace in this world? How much are we seeking our identity and our purpose in this world? How much do we love this world? Think about the things in this world that require our passion. In our own cultural setting, we can see two very dominant characteristics. We live in a culture of comparison and competition. It's all around us every day. We encounter this everywhere. We're compared to others, so we, we invest a lot of passion in being compared to others in a positive way, in winning that comparison. We need to look better than others. We need to be richer than others. We need to have better toys than others. We need to have better kids than others. We live in a competitive culture where it's acceptable to step on someone else on your way to a better comparison rating. And so we hurt and we cut down and we belittle and we slander others. We use our passion to build ourselves up and make ourselves look better than we really are. This leads us to consider what Paul had to say about us and the world. If we live in this kind of world, how can we, we respond to it if we're free? And so Paul writes in Romans 12, 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul's encouraging the church to invite God to free them from the world and from being conformed to the world. He's instructing them to not be conformed to that way of thinking. Don't give in to the passion that this world demands of you. Let God renew your mind in the freedom that he offers through Jesus Christ. We're to be free from the power that this world has over us and free from the passion that this world demands of us on a daily basis. On to the next question. We talked about what we can be free from. Now let's talk about what we can be free to. We're set free from the world. In being set free from the world, what are we then set free to? It would be foolish of me to try to convince you that the world has nothing but evil to offer you. We know that's not true. The world can offer you acceptance. The world can make you feel good. It can entertain you. It can give you a sense of belonging. It can even give you a sense of purpose. 
It can offer you significance as you compare yourself to others. It can offer you security financially, materially. It can offer you protection from physical harm. This world has a lot to offer you. We just looked at 1 John 2.16 where John wrote, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. What the world has to offer is just that. It's just what the world can offer. It's just what the world can offer. So does being a follower of Jesus mean that God is only calling us to give up all those things? That's all he wants from us? Just give up all these worldly things? That doesn't seem to fit with a father who is eager to give good gifts to his children. So here's a challenge for us. What is God freeing us to? Or is he just commanding us to be free of the world? What is he freeing us to? How well do we know the character of God? How much do we trust in his goodness? How much do we believe in his grace? Are we only seeing the things we should give up and not the things that we gain by seeking what God has for us? What can God free us to? Let me touch on three major themes when it comes to what what people are looking for all around the world, what you and I are looking for. We're looking for a sense of identity. Who am I? We're looking for a sense of belonging. What am I a part of? Where am I loved? Where am I connected? We're looking for a sense of purpose. What is my mission in life? What am I to do? And all three of these desires can be met by this world. The world can give you an identity. We're told every day who we are by the media in particular. This is who we are. It builds us up. The world can give you a sense of belonging. We belong to community groups, teams, social media groups, and various circles in our lives. We belong there. The world can also give us a sense of purpose. I would imagine every one of us is connected to at least one cause somewhere. They're everywhere. But when God frees us from the world, he generously provides us with a new level of freedom where we find an identity, belonging, and purpose that far surpass what the world has to offer. So much better. And we get stuck so many times, church, on just looking at all the good things we have to give up by being followers of Jesus Christ. And that's not where it ends. Jesus says he came to bring us life abundant. The world can't offer us abundant life. Our desire for a sense of identity is met by God. He gives us our identity. We don't have to run around and seek it in this world anymore. God gives us our identity. We're free to live out that identity, not run around trying to find it, but live it out. Peter wrote that we're strangers and aliens here in this world. I'll take that identity. We don't belong here. Switch foot from beautiful head down. Our desire for a sense of belonging is met by God. 
we belong to a family that will last for all of eternity. We belong to a God who has adopted us, who pursued us to the point of making himself known to us, and we surrendered to him. And in his grace, he said, Welcome back. I love you and I want you in my family forever. I'll take you just as you are. There is nobody in this world that can do that. But God does it. He says, you belong here with me. Can you imagine chosen and adopted by the creator of the universe? So in light of this, church, God's family, body of Christ, we really need to follow Jesus' instruction to love each other, don't we? He's provided us for each other for that purpose, to remind us that we belong. So we stop looking for that to be fulfilled by the world. It's already been fulfilled. Your brother and sister in Christ need to know that they belong. Our desire for a sense of purpose is met by God. Think about the purposes that you're pursuing in the world, what the world has to offer. Tell you what, it falls short of light and salt. It falls short of minister of reconciliation. It falls short of ambassador of God's kingdom. It falls short of comforter. It falls short of a guide who leads people to Jesus. The world cannot deliver what God delivers. As strangers and aliens, belonging to an eternal family and an unstoppable force, we have a mission to save lives. And in all of this, in our identity, belonging, and in our mission, we have been created to shine the light, to shine light daily on the creator of the universe and almighty God. We glorify him. We are being called by God to live in freedom. Freedom from the world and freedom to an identity, a sense of belonging, a purpose like none other. And God gives us that identity. We don't have to seek it. God gives us that place of belonging. He provides it for us. God has given us that purpose, that mission for which we will receive an eternal reward. So finally, we have one more question to ask. How do we experience this freedom? I want to be free from this world. I do not want to settle for what the world has to offer. It's not enough for me. It's not enough for you either. So as I thought through this, I came up with some things that we can do, some steps that we can take to move on from what I see to be a weak imitation of what only God can offer. How do we do this? How do we move on? We talked about the reality that the world has power, but God has ultimate power, ultimate absolute power. Something that I can do, something that you can do is intentionally declare that God has that power. Tell him. Tell others. 
that God alone is King of kings and Lord of lords. Tell yourself that God is the ultimate power. We can daily, daily declare our allegiance to him and to his power in our lives. We can do that every single day. And we can passionately pursue him and all that he has for us. He alone is worthy of that kind of passion from us. On the other side of that is the opportunity before me to denounce the world's power. Every day we can simply declare that God has power in our lives and that Satan and the world do not. We can pray against the world's power. We can pray against the desires that the world stirs in us. We can pray against the seduction going on all the time in our lives and in others. The world's seductive power can be prayed down. And we can pray away the obstacles that the world places between us and the presence and purpose of God in our lives. Pray them out of your life. We can also live out our God-given identity rather than seek one in the world. That's freedom. We can invest in the family that God's given us to belong to rather than seeking a place to belong in the world. That's freedom. We can get to work carrying out the purpose that God has given us rather than trying to align ourselves with something that he's not called us to. That's freedom. Live, church, as those who are free. Live as those who are free. Live free in Christ. And as you do, I want you to remember something. You have in you a message that the world desperately needs to hear. You look all around you and you will see people enslaved to the world held captive by this world. They're everywhere. You have a message for them about a life that can be lived free from this world. Tell them. Guide them. There is freedom in Christ. There's freedom from this world and freedom to live in the identity, belonging, and purpose that God offers out of his love for us. Live in that freedom, church. Declare it today. I'm going to invite the ushers to come up now. and We'll close our service together. Let's pray as they come. And I want you to take a moment with God. Just set aside everything else right now. Close your eyes, bow your head. And take a moment with God right now. Maybe there's a step that you need to take right now in this moment. Maybe that's a, the step is, is a step of confession. Maybe it is time for you to say, God, I have pursued this world for too long.
Maybe you need to confess to him that the world does have far too much power over you. Maybe you need to confess that, that, that your passions are being used on pursuits of this world, on earthly pursuits, to gain temporal things, to gain a temporal identity, a temporal sense of belonging, a temporal mission. Maybe you need to just let him know, God, I'm, I'm wasting my passion. Tell him. Maybe what you need to do right now is just just declare to God that he is the ultimate power in your life. Maybe it's time for you to say for the first time in a long, long time, just on your own, God, you are King of kings and Lord of lords and there is none other. Just do that. Just tell him him. Tell him that now. Don't Wait. Maybe it's time for you to just say before God, all right, God, here's what I'm committing to this week, today. I'm going to identify the ways in which this world has power over me. I'm going to turn all that over to you make a list. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to give it to you. Maybe it's just the step is, I, God, I know you don't have all of me. I know you got part of me. I know that, that I, I believe in you and I believe the things that, that were said this morning that, oh God, the, the world, it's so enticing. It's, it's so attractive to me. So God, I surrender those parts of me that I have not given up to you yet. Those parts that I'm hanging on to, that, that worldly pursuit that I just can't let go of because it makes me feel so good about myself. God, you have it all. You take everything. That thing in the corner that I don't want to talk about, take that. Church, God wants you to live free. Choose that freedom. Maybe your step this week is to just live out the identity that God has given you. Find a practical way to live it out and live it out. Maybe your step this week is to to do something about that person whose face is in your mind that you can't get rid of right now. That person who is enslaved person who so desperately wants to be free and you can tell because the world's beating them up so badly maybe you need to do something about that this week not just let it go father will you take us right where we are no matter where we are no matter how much we love the world right now take us wherever we are and i thank you that you do this Move us towards freedom. Bring us to that point of full surrender to you. Where we can live free of this world. And free to live the life that Christ came to give us.
God, guide us there. You know what each one of these lives can look like, what my life can look like if we're living free. You know what this church will look like if we're living free. So, Father, right now, I denounce the power of this world in this place. In the name of Jesus Christ, I declare that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and there is none other. We lay ourselves before you as a people for your own possession, set free by you from the world, set free by you to live out the identity that you've given us to live out the life that you've given us within your family, a place where we belong and will belong forever. And to live out the mission that you've given us to take your message of hope to the world. God, do this in us. Give ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, your son.